0: Welcome to the Culture Builders podcast channel, looking at how individual and team performance builds strong cultures. Hosted by Jane Sparrow and Chris Preston. You are listening to a Burst episode. Hello and welcome to the Bank of Me podcast. You're listening to Owen Cook, one of the team here at the Culture Builders. Today I'm being joined by Selina Hales, the founder of Glasgow-based charity Refugee. They are a charity that focuses on ensuring that displaced people who come to the city receive the welcome that they deserve. But I won't say too much more about that. I'll get Selena to tell you a little bit more about that. Later on in the episode, we're going to be looking at the leadership lessons from working in an environment where you have staff who are paid and attached to the organization and volunteers who give their time freely to try and help. So we'll dial into that and also some of Selena's top tips around leadership towards the end of the session. In the meantime, Selena, welcome.
1: Hi. Thanks for it's, having me.
0: Well, thanks for having me. It's lovely to be here in your office with some pretty cool, funky artwork on the walls and stuff like that in Glasgow. Um,
1: yeah, funky but cold. <laughs>
0: yes, yeah, yeah. let's be honest, it is cold. Um, but we have heaters and we have tea, so we are set. Um, Selina, tell me a little bit about Refugee. What, what do you do?
1: Um, where do I start with that? We are a charity that welcome Refugees, asylum seekers, anybody that now finds themselves living in Glasgow um, to the city. And we do that in a variety of ways. Started with welcome packs um, built by the existing community to pass on a gesture of kindness more than anything else. But a selection of gifts. um, What kind of stuff? So with the welcome packs, we put in them three types of items. Essential items scottish items and then the letter and the essential items are things like toiletries stationery, graphical literature hat scarf and gloves umbrellas if we have them they can also count as a scottish item actually as well and then the scottish items we stereotype ourselves spectacularly and <laughs> they are always the most unhealthy iron brew tunics tea cakes shortbread Toffee, tablet. So they've always got toothbrush and toothpaste in them. (laughs) They'll need it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, They've also always got sanitary or shaving products in them. And then the letter, which is the bit that captured Glasgow. And I think part of the success of Refugee is down to the inclusion of a letter in the welcome packs. We call them letters for the locals. Um, For any non-Scots, fae simply means from. You have no idea the number of people that have asked me, can you just translate the word fae for me? Letters for the locals. And they are a welcome message from someone who's a bit more familiar with the city or with Scotland that wants to pass on their welcome um, to someone who's just arrived. And they range from a very simple welcome to Glasgow we're happy you're here, through to three, four page guidebooks of everything that that person must go and see and do in Glasgow and in Scotland. But they capture the heart and soul of the city um, and they give everybody that wants to extend a welcome a way to do that without needing to have money, without needing to have items to donate. They allow us to engage with that welcome.
0: Fantastic. So you said it started with welcome packs. So what else have you added on now to what Refugee do?
1: So it became really clear very early on that welcome packs weren't enough, that a gesture of kindness is lovely when people arrive, but that there is real need. And with the partner organisations who distributed the welcome packs, they started to ask us about other items, um, which was just as well because we also started to receive a lot of items that we didn't ask for for welcome packs, but that people wanted to pass on. Um, And we rely on them and need them, and it's lovely to have that element of circular economy being built into a city, that there is so much stuff out there that people don't need and want to pass on but don't know where and how to do that. Um, And I think we timed at a point that people didn't just want to welcome people and to do something for the displaced community, but people were also getting a little bit more conscious about where they were putting things after they were finished with them. So the recycling element of the project has been key to it as well. So in that, we created events that we call pop-up pickups, and they're an opportunity for... The refugee community, or anyone actually, we always advertise them being open to everybody and we do a lot of work with homeless networks in the city to make sure they're aware when they're happening. But they're an opportunity for people to come along and choose their own clothes and choose their own household items, pick up the books that they would like to read rather than the ones that other people have selected for them. Um, they're also our opportunity to meet people to shape the welcome packs to find out the gaps and what people need so that's how we discovered that there are loads of women arriving in the city that desperately just wanted little bits and pieces of makeup and it sounds like such a simple thing but I know how I feel if I end up being caught off guard without my makeup on on a day that i really feel that i just want to have makeup on and whether that's to hide behind or for whatever reason it's my choice um and we had an opportunity to do a really simple sort of drive for for items like that based on feedback from a pop-up event and we now include little bits of makeup in the welcome packs so that On a budget of £37 a week, mascara and lipstick is never going to be your priority. But if we can provide a couple of those items, it just makes people feel a little bit more like them. Um, So the pop-up shaped all of that conversation and they give us a way to um, get feedback from people and to make sure that we're meeting their needs, not just deciding, oh, well, people must want this and they must want that.
0: Kind of extending that initial element of humanity that you put in there to make it more interactive and two-way and a feedback loop. Absolutely. I'm I'm keen to get on to kind of leadership lessons, but just before we do, in the briefest terms, I, I know that you also try and do some sort of more social things with people that are arriving in the city. Can you just tell us, in very brief terms, a couple of the kind of approaches you're using there?
1: Yeah, so we've done all sorts. There's a huge variety that we can tap into there. So we've been to festivals with people. We've taken a group of people to a gig at Glasgow Barrowlands. Uh, we climbed Ben Nevis with a group of people in 2018. Um, we've been to the beach. We run community events really regularly in the city, just inviting old and new communities to come together. And we keep it simple. We ask the community to help us deliver that. So we never have an event budget. Um, we go out and say, Glasgow is famous world renowned for its welcome you are responsible for that we're inviting everybody that's recently arrived here over the past two years for a big barbecue help us make it really special and it is phenomenal what that has done just going out and asking other people to help make it special restaurants have got involved halal butchers have donated all the meat a couple of restaurants in the south side donated the barbecues so that we could actually feed people. Um, community spaces give us their outdoor garden spaces for free. Balloon makers and face painters come on and uh, come along and contribute their bit. It's about opening up the community spaces that already exist and asking the people that are already within them to contribute.
0: So. Interestingly, you've touched on the whole kind of the voluntary aspect there. And I'm aware that you have a kind of a core population of staff who work with you and then a wider, much wider population of volunteers who come and go and and a kind of core that are regular around that. Um, thinking about your role as, you know, as much as you might shirk it sometimes in terms of the <laughs> language, you are the leader of this. And your role as the leader of people who work for you, so your staff, what have been the big challenges have you brought more people on? Because I know you're still small, but you've been growing over the last couple of years and adding more and more and more people. So what have the challenges been around kind of leading those people in this organisation?
1: I think the biggest challenge has been protecting them from the complete overwhelm that is almost inevitable in this type of work, that we can never do enough and that's so, so difficult to feel responsible for. I I did this to myself. I chose this. And I have an amazing team of staff who also chose. They wouldn't work for us if they hadn't chosen this path, obviously. But they, they choose it because they love it as well, the way that I do. But we all get overwhelmed and we all end up needing a little bit. Of love and care and sometimes I find it quite hard because I know that I'm sort of responsible for that that it's me that's led them down that path um so yeah it's a it's a self-care leadership role that I probably find it's not that it's challenging it's that it's a heavy burden um and then when you've got a team of people it all started as volunteers. There's nobody that works in refugee that didn't start out as a volunteer, um, and there's nobody in refugee that solely works for us. Everyone volunteers additional time and sort of lives it, mm-hmm. and that's something that's very hard to put across in a sort of job application or in a um, in an advert. For needing team members, um, it's it's hard to to put words to the type of person you're looking for when it's actually about what feeds their soul.
0: Yeah. Interesting. There, you you kind of shared two burdens. So the first is there's this you know never ending aim which you'll never achieve, but which you have to work towards and you're driven to work towards and how do you help manage the emotional side of that for yourself and for your, your people and I'd love to come back to that towards the end and see kind of what you do do um, by way of tips and then there's the second burden which is that thing of if you've got people who are contracted to work for you for a certain amount of time and then they volunteer to do more is there ever a point where you have to say to them no go home or you know know you need some time away from this or anything like that what's the approach around that because otherwise people could pour 24 7 of themselves into this
1: there is absolutely times where I have told people to go home to switch off I've confiscated laptops (laughs) I've taken away access to the social media stuff to databases to the things that that people can't stop checking or engaging with and I ask my team to do the same thing for me I run a lot of the social media for Refugee still and I love it and I wouldn't change it but I am now very good at recognizing that I feel really like I I feel as if I've forgotten something I feel very and quite often I'll realize that that feeling is because I've not tweeted recently enough or I've not put enough messaging out and in one sense it's a lovely simple fix I do a quick insta story I send a quick tweet I feel calm again it's okay people know that we're busy people are aware that we're but the burden of having a large following is really really difficult for Hannah in the team that's buggies she distributes a buggy a day to a recently arrived family it's never Ever enough. There are always more people on the list. There are always more donors wanting to donate their buggies. So I, I swear that if I let her, she would drive around the city all day and all night, picking up and distributing buggies because she can't bear the thought of her being the blocker of that family not being able to get out and explore their new city. It's a very, very difficult thing to manage
0: as uh, really interesting, though, you said you have to do that for them and your staff have to do that for you. So it's a bit of a symbiosis there in terms of we all know in this kind of environment where we're bought in to the level we are, somebody's got to help us to switch off and that's each other rather than ourselves. So that's kind of some of the stuff around your your staff and the people who actually work for you. Obviously, there's a wider population of volunteers who give their time on a semi-regul- semi-regular or regular basis. And I suppose I'm curious about, you know, how does it change when you're trying to be a a leader for them or kind of help them with what they're doing, their direction, what they give? Is is it different or is it much the same? Any other challenges?
1: It's definitely different. There's definitely a difference between a staff member and a volunteer. But strangely enough, and I don't know whether it's just because of who the refugee team is or I, I, I don't know. I actually find my staff take far less management than the volunteers do, Right. (laughs) that the the staff do it because they love it. The staff have been volunteering enough to know the impact that their engagement with refugee has. They know the difference they make. They know what needs done, when it needs done, but most importantly, why. It needs done. They've really connected with the why. With volunteers at the beginning, there's definitely a period for some and not all, but of the volunteering being something that they're doing for them. And actually for staff, you're not actually doing refugee for yourself. You're doing it for everybody that you've met and that you know along the way so it's a really it's a really difficult thing to you don't want to say that to people initially oh you're doing this for yourself because it sounds like you're calling them selfish and I'm not calling people selfish I'm saying we all volunteer because it makes us feel good and it's not until you've connected with what you're volunteering with that you understand holy crap it doesn't just make me feel good it also has a huge impact on somebody else's life and that changes how you lead somebody because as soon as the person's connected with that they don't need that much leadership they're led by the impact of their own actions that's beautiful doesn't always happen but that's beautiful when it does happen
0: there's a real strong connection there to the power of the why and our own personal personal motivation so you know The work we do in my organization, we often are talking to people about their why, their belief about why the organization exists, why their team exists, why their role exists, and what the kind of connection and line of sight is between those things. And that's often a hugely motivating factor. But there's also that kind of motivation that comes from within around the self-satisfaction of achievement, mastery, growth, all those kinds of things. I've, I've often heard the statement, the whole, you know, there's no such thing as an altruistic gesture because we, we always do it partly for ourselves. What I find really interesting about your sta- stance on that was people might do to start with, but when they get past their initial, this feels good to me, and into the why of why they're doing it and the impact, that's when true motivation takes over. Absolutely. So in your experience, is there is there ever you know is there a moment you can point to or a type of experience you can point to that triggers that transition from i'm in this cuz it feels good to to give and to do it to i'm in this cuz now there's something bigger and i i see it i believe it in some way
1: i think for most people that happens when they start to meet people when the refugee experience the the crisis that we all hear about is humanized so that could be a pop-up event where they have their first conversation with somebody it could be a community event where they end up chatting to somebody and it's not a conversation it's not a stilted conversation that has been staged to interview somebody it's that you're both queuing for kebab or you're both You're volunteering to fold the clothes and somebody's looking for a size for their child or whatever. And it's the conversations that happen then where that person just sees the other, not as the other anymore, but as somebody just like them or just like their brother or just like their mother or they make this connection that stops the person, it drops the refugee label and it makes the person a person. And all of a sudden that transforms everything. And sometimes that happens in a letter. Sometimes you can see when someone, we ask people to write letters at events, sometimes or in schools, and there is a point where 90% of people pause and they write one word on the page, dear, or two, and then stop. And you can see the cogs turning in the person's, it's written all over their face. that They're like, oh, who? What will I call that person? And it might be the first time, especially for a young person, the first time that they have ever thought about a refugee. Because we are so conditioned to think about groups of people. We're so bombarded with imagery of groups of people, whether in camp environments, whether walking, whatever the imagery is. There's not that many focused on the individual. And a letter is a way of getting that person to focus on that. And there's a pause. And some people will write, dear refugee. Some people will write, dear friend. Lots of children write, "Hi, pal. (laughs) But that's the moment where the person becomes a person to them Mm. where they've they've engaged with something entirely differently and it's a hard thing to teach people it's a hard thing to get them to but the simple act of writing a letter or getting to a point where they can make eye contact with somebody over an informal environment is magic that's the point that it becomes less about their volunteer experience and more about the difference that they can make in the world for someone
0: else mm. crikey some really deep insights there and what's lovely for me is i've known you for years now and i've been in and around refugee for quite a long time and i feel like this has opened up a lot for me as well which is really nice um to try and make the end of this podcast episode a bit kind of accessible i can i ask you to kind of Think about what you've just shared and if you were to focus your attention or energies on two or three top tips, two or three kind of key areas people should look to, where would you tell them to focus their energy?
1: Themselves and their team, the essential people that make the day-to-day happen. Um, I found it a real struggle when refugee became a charity and an organisation and a thing because that was never my intention. And I I really struggled with this idea that I should be paid to do this because it never felt like work and that I should switch off from it because it just became everything really, really quickly. Um, And then I very, very quickly and was very lucky to be looked after and sort of mentored by some really good people who said it won't exist without you it can't exist without you in these early stages so you need to look after yourself Um, and I've definitely found that hard at various times I find switching off really hard but actually part of my self-care is my team so we look out for each other we monitor each other and we know when we're at burnout stage. We know the points where we need to tell each other it's time to stop. Um, that's a lovely... That's a brilliant team to be part of.
0: I think it's, it's great if we can be um, self-governing and intentional and looking after ourselves, but in an environment where we care so much and so passionately about what we're doing, whether that is a charity or, or anywhere else in the world, To have people around you who watch out for you and and tell you when you need to take a break is is definitely a godsend. Where else?
1: I think any time you're trying to have impact and you're trying to do something or getting people to engage with something, at the very beginning of Refugee Ouija, one of the core bits of it is the Ouija bit, that it's not simply about welcoming refugees. In order to welcome refugees, I need the existing community, to do their bit and to get them to do their bit to get people to connect with it we need to humanize it and the connection bit for me came relatively naturally that I find communicating over social media platforms quite straightforward I enjoy it so it comes from a real genuine place there was no sort, there was no business plan there was no At this time, this many people are logged on and I'll make sure that I post at that time every single day. It was me going, I can't believe I've just been to the airport, witnessed people arriving in Scotland for the first time, some of whom got off the plane not even knowing what country they were in, never mind which city, and being able to go out and say, this is what I did today. But the best bit about it was getting to hand over your letters, your donations and your toys to people's children. There's the human. And that's what made people. It's what got people behind us. And whether they're involved, they want to see that side of Glasgow and they want to see it succeed. And if we can just just get people to see
0: Oh dear <laughs> Earlier on you mentioned the burden Of the kind of unachievable goal Of this organisation And I'm curious I, kn- I know there are various organisations Out there in the world that are working towards What might feel like unachievable goals And we probably all feel some of that sometimes What would your advice be To anybody who's working towards a goal that is Unachievable in that sense it
1: Sounds like really backwards advice but stop looking at the goal for a second and forget about that because some people have asked me at the beginning how do you change the world I'm like whoa <laughs> I didn't set out to change the world and, and and I didn't set out to set up a charity if someone had told me five years ago so we need you to set up a charity I'd have run a mile um possibly more than a mile The goal is totally overwhelming. The goal is far too big. It's a massive issue that you don't... It's not something that you can connect with or that you can even contemplate being able to influence. So stop looking at that and think about the things that make that goal what it is. Think about the different things that it's made up of. Break it all down and do one of them. So, refugees at a point where we've delivered almost 5,000, we're at 4,000, just over 4,500 welcome packs to recently arrived people. Again, if someone had said at the beginning, you need to figure out a way to make sure that every refugee arriving in this city receives a gesture of kindness from the existing community. Too big. No idea, wouldn't know where to start. That wasn't ever the goal. It's what we do, but it wasn't the goal. The goal was to make sure that people knew that Glasgow did welcome refugees, does welcome refugees. The goal doesn't need to be huge. Set out to do something small, and the ripple effect of that is massive. And the best example of that that I have is a letter that we got from a wee boy, a four-year-old boy called Max, and it's written phonetically, and it's beautiful, and I recently shared it on our social media. And it simply says, hello, refugees, but refugees is spelt with a Y-double-O in the middle. (laughs) Um, How are you? And it's just really, really simple. Max set out to send a letter to another child arriving in Glasgow. What he's actually done with his letter... Is instigated hundreds possibly even thousands of people to also send their letter he's engaged a community across scotland and got them to donate to volunteer and to write for an organization that wasn't his goal but it's what he's achieved
0: crikey hats off to max (laughs) awesome um thank you so much for sharing your story and the work you do and your advice for people and i I love the fact that kind of the three things towards the end were mostly all about humans so looking after each other um finding the human connection the human impact and then breaking it down (laughs) (laughs) and then breaking it down um What's your uh, What's the organisation's website For if anybody wants to find out more Or get in touch or do anything like the letters for the locals And stuff like that Have
1: you done this intentionally so that I have to spell Refugee I have, absolutely, <laughs> yeah, spell it for us So it's Refugee.co.uk And we spell Refugee As Refugee With a wee bit in the middle So it's R-E-F U-W-E-G-E It's really difficult to say
0: Yeah, I noticed <laughs> That's why I got you to do it. Selina, thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Thank you for listening. Continue the journey at www.theculturebuilders.com.